drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Friday, November the 18th, 2022. On the feast day of St. Rose, Philippine Duchenne. Praise be to God. Pray for us, St. Rose, Philippine Duchenne. Hey, did we just avoid World War III? Um, I'm kind of feeling like we did, actually. It felt like that uh, we were all on the precipice of, of going to war with that missile strike in, uh, in Poland. We've invited Colonel Matt Dooley on, retired Army Colonel Matt Dooley, to uh, be on with us at 15 past the hour to kind of weigh in on that. Hmm... Did we just barely, by the skin of our teeth, we're going to find out what he has to say coming up. Also at uh, 35 past the hour, did you know Greta Thunberg has a book out? Oh, yeah. She's got a book out. She's making some money. Uh, she hates capitalism. But nonetheless, she's making a lot of money with her book sales. And Mr. John Horvat is going to be on. He's got an article over at the Imaginative Conservative. And uh, we're going to have a conversation around Greta Thunberg. She's 19 years old. Like, just yesterday, she was... How old was she when she did the whole UN? Wasn't that just a year ago? <clears throat> how dare you? Yeah, how long ago was that? It was like five, Dude, six years. It feels years. like a long time. It feels like a long time. She's 19. Like, She's wow. 19. And she got a book deal. Nice. And she got a book deal. <laughs> and the world speaking deal. Why don't I have a book deal? I don't know. Hey, somebody, mm. who's anybody mm. listening out there, offer me a book deal. Self-publish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dave Palmer is going to be our guest at the top of the next hour. He's going to talk about uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and being thankful, apparently, Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. Hey, uh, here's uh, a lot of stories in the news. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health, guess what they did? They got together with Google, and they covertly installed on over a million Android phones tracking software for COVID-19 for contact tracing. Neat. So that's just the million they admitted to. So <laughs> there's just that. But hey, U.S. bishops have decided to uh, put off rewriting the voter guide until after the 2024 elections. Mm. Very convenient. Seems wise. Very convenient. The House GOP announces investigations into Hunter Biden and an audit into Ukraine spending, all while Nancy Pelosi steps down as top Democrat. So a lot of activity already in the, uh, in the U.S. House. And guess what? The University of Notre Dame has imposed COVID-19 booster shot mandates on all students, even if you never set foot on their campus and you are just remotely connecting via Zoom or something like that. For the next school year, everybody, no matter what, has to get the shot. That's a good time. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. And I, for one, I'm going to get my 11th booster. Your 11th? Yep. You, sir, are a patriot. <laughs> I mean, for the team. See, I got the it. first one on one arm, and then every mm -hmm. subsequent dose, I've had them on both arms mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm completely covered. I can tell. I haven't had COVID since two months ago. <laughs> since at least the last time you had it. <laughs> oh, man. it just uh, It's like we're two years past the pandemic, and they're requ still requiring It's never it. over. It's never over. Hey, who were we talking to the other day that said there's public health mm -hmm. crises that are still Crisis. active since the 70s? Public health crises? Crises? Yeah. I don't know. This one's going to go on forever. Is it? It's a money-making scheme. Y you know what's not going to go on forever? Mm. The fact that we have peaked... As a team. Really? Wow. We, we peaked. As a team. I don't know what else we can accomplish, to wow. be honest with you. Uh, There's no I in team. Uh, 
<laughs> Dr. Anthony Stein not only gave us a mention, but played a clip of ours Wow! in his most recent video on Return to Tradition. I can't thank you enough. That is, uh, that is a high honor. I consider that a very high honor. I don't know that he's ever done. Has he ever done that? I don't think he's ever done that. Played a clip of someone else's show. <laughs> I'll have to show. We'll have to ask him. So yeah. Anthony is a, is a great, is a good friend. And uh, actually, tune in to Anthony's show tomorrow. I'm going to be uh, a guest on his show to talk about Advent as a season of penance. Ooh, yeah. Have you heard wow. that before? Return Very to tradition. Wait, what? Thank yeah. you. Thank you for uh, for giving us a shout out. I do appreciate that very much. All right, uh, praise be to God. Uh, we have much to get into today. I hope and pray that you will join us for the whole hour and share us with a friend. Don't forget, I'm sending the CDT Insider email out today. So if you want to be on the inside, go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get in on the action. Just look for the CDT Insider email link and you can get signed up. It takes just a couple of minutes. But let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today's Friday, woo, November 18th. And here are your headlines this morning. Breitbart reports Nancy Pelosi steps aside and will not seek re-election as Democrat House leader. She says, quote, This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress, Pelosi stated on the House floor. She also uh, added, the hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I greatly respect. Sky News reports Chinese tech firm Nexperia told to sell majority stake in UK microchip factory over national security risk. The British government has said Nexperia must reduce its stake in Newport wafer fabrication by 86%, back to its previous holding of just 14% when it took over the firm in 2021, in an effort to mitigate the risk to national security. The former chair of the Commons Foreign Affairs Committee had expressed concern that companies, particularly in China, had a track record of using foreign investments to gain access to important technologies and information. The Epic Times reports inflation outpacing U.S. wages, creating worst pay drop in 25 years. Residents in the United States have less to celebrate on payday as inflation-adjusted wages endure the harshest pay cut in a quarter century, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. The bank's report revealed the median decline in real wages was a little more than 8.5% for most of the workforce in the last 12 months. CNA reports the church in Cuba will once again have communion hosts, thanks to donations of flour. In a November 14th statement, the Descalce Carmelite Sisters of Havana expressed their joy for having experienced once again that the bark of the church is the Lord who leads it. The nuns expressed their surprise to see that the news of the flower shortages had gone uh, viral, even reaching remote places, saying, quote, The impressive thing about all of this is how it has moved the hearts of so many people of goodwill, who, like the widow in the gospel, have offered little or much so that the work can continue, unquote. 
Flour has come to us from our simple townspeople, from institutions from Miami, Puerto Rico, Spain, and also the allocation that we get from the state, they reported. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Saint Odo, or Otto, I suppose, of Cluny. Saint Otto was born in 879. He was the son of noble parents who lived in the Ausca, France. They attributed his birth to the miraculous intercession of Saint Martin of Tours. At the age of 16, he became a canon of the Church of Saint Martin in Tours, and he dedicated some years of his life to the study of classic authors and the fathers of the church. In 901, he traveled to Paris to follow a course of philosophy by Remy of Auxerre. He also studied poetry and music, both of which he wrote and practiced throughout his life. After writing several works, Otto entered the Benedictine monastery of Baum les Moissouets in Burgundy, my French is excellent, where he was headmaster of the monastery school. When the monastery of Cluny was founded, he moved to it with its first abbot, St. Berno. In 927, he succeeded Berno as the second abbot of Cluny. The monastery schools he founded in Cluny shortly attracted the noblest and the brightest youth in the West. It became a custom to say that a prince at his parents' court would not receive a better formation than the pupils of Cluny. Thanks to this holy abbot, the influence of Cluny spread out all over Christendom. Popes would ask St. Otto's advice in their difficulties, and princes invited him to their kingdom to reform their monasteries. He was so successful that he was called the Restorer of Monasteries. He, he died on November 18, 942. When he was a child, the Angelus bells rings, and all stop what they were doing and stand and pay homage to Our Lady. Then the life continues. In an atmosphere like this, St. Otto was raised. You see that it's quite different from that of his skyscrapers and busy streets to which many of us are accustomed. So after studying philosophy, poetry, and music, after serving and governing in Baume le Moisseur, St. Otto became one of the founders of Cluny. That is, we find him at the very root of the best that the Catholic Church gave in that era. The schools he founded at Cluny attracted persons of the best families in Europe. Some progressivists hate this apostolate with children of good families. They argue that one must make apostolate with the poor, not with the elites of society. It is hard to imagine such blindness. If you want to do good for everyone, you should take special care to do so with those who, in their turn, can pass on that goodness to others. Let us ask St. Otto to intercede with Our Lady to bring the reign of Mary soon for the greatest glory of God. That's commentary from Professor Pliny on the Feast of St. Otto. St. Otto of Cluny, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 19, verses 45 through 48. Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple area. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, meanwhile, were seeking to put him to death, but they could find no way to accomplish their purpose, because all the people were hanging on his words. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Adrian, did uh, Cornelius Alapide have anything to offer today? Oh, did he? He had a lot to offer 
on today's uh, scripture passage. He says here, Wherefore, it is not doubtful that Christ gave thanks in the temple of God the Father because he had manifested to him to the whole city uh, as Messiah. Yea, had glorified him by the applause of all the people. Again, the first care of Jesus as pontiff and Messiah was of the temple. When entering the city, he came to that first that he might teach us to do the same. So he's saying, when you enter a city, it was custom up until today that when you entered a new city, the first thing you would do is go to a church and give thanks to God for allowing you to come to that city safely. He said that there's two reasons why the, he drove the, the people out of the temple. He said the first is because it was not seemly that those things should be sold in the temple, but in the marketplace. For the temple is a house of prayer, not of merchandise, as Christ says. The second was the avarice and usury of the priest. He's charging money. That's very interesting. And he talks about more about the, uh, the sin of simony, of selling religious goods, of selling things like relics, selling things like uh, religious items. These kinds of things are very, very dangerous and priests should not be doing it. Now, there's a nuance there that I won't get into at the moment. However, tropologically, Saint, uh, or I, I will hopefully one day, St. Cornelius Alapide says the temple is a house not for talk, nor speculation, nor drinking, nor reveling. But for prayer, let therefore those who profane it by gossiping, by gaping about them, by acting lasciviously, by drinking, see how they will be scourged by Christ. That is a hard saying. St. Cornelius Lapide here is talking about the fact that people talk in church, that the church is not a place for talking. It's not a place for eating, bringing your food, bringing your drinks into the church. No, the temple, the church, is a house of prayer. He says, for St. Bede says, those things might seem to be lawfully sold in the temple, which were brought with the intention of offering them in the same temple to the Lord, but the Lord himself being unwilling that any earthly business, not even that which was considered honest, should be transacted in his house. That means everything has a time and a place, even good things should not be done in the church because the church has a particular end to it. So let's keep that end in mind when we're at the church. Last thing, this is a hotly debated topic about how many times did our Lord drive the people out of the temple? Cornelius Lapide says there was at least two times recorded in scripture at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. And however, though, he says it was likely that he did it many times. And the people, when they show, whenever he'd see Jesus coming toward the temple, they're like, oh no, he's back. He's about to drive everyone out again. He's got the whip in his hand. Run! And so uh, keep that in mind. Our Lord made that reaction on multiple occasions. Yeah, praise be to God. All right. Thank you, Cornelius Alapade, for your insight on today's gospel. Hey, we're going to go to break. We're going to come back. Retired Army Colonel Matt Dooley is going to be on. We're going to talk about that missile strike in Poland, all that and more. Atheists claim they don't need God to be a good person, implying God's not relevant to morality. But is this true? Well, atheists can be good in the sense of knowing behaviors that respect the goods of human nature and living accordingly. St. Paul acknowledges this natural moral law in Romans chapter 2. But this doesn't mean God is irrelevant when it comes to morality. And here's the reason. Besides God's grace being necessary to live the moral law perfectly and merit heaven, God is necessary for the law to be morally binding. How can the moral law be binding if there's no moral law giver behind it that surpasses human authority? The answer is, it can't. 
So an atheist can follow the natural moral law, but only the theist is consistent in saying that such a law is morally obligatory. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. You're crazy! Deep within, we struggle. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. Because sin separates us from God. She's in a relationship with George. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Mr. John Horvath is going to be our guest. He has an article over at the Imaginative Conservative. Headline says, Greta Thunberg turns left and red. We're going to be talking about Greta Thunberg's new book and, you know, the fact that she seems to be turning towards socialism, Marxism, we're going to get Mr. Horvath's comments on that at 35 past the hour. Do join us if you can. Joining us right now via Zoom chat is retired Army Colonel Matt Dooley, and it's good to have him back on the program. Good morning to you, Matt. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you having you on today. Uh, of course, the story this week was, uh, I thought it was actually quite uh, quite intense and quite hair-raising. There was the missile strike on a village in Poland along the border to Ukraine, and the initial story was this was a Russian missile and NATO forces were gathering and meeting to discuss what they should do about it. There was some back and forth about who was responsible. And uh, eventually it, the president of Poland admitted that this was not a Russian missile. Uh, can you give us your insight into this whole affair? Yeah. Well, first of all, we'll frame the discussion by why it matters. Um, you know, since February of last year, um, or I'm sorry, February of this year, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the concern has always been about escalation. Um, it's it's critical to those who were former members of the Warsaw Pact, who are now members of NATO, countries like Poland, uh, the, the Baltic Republics, uh, Hungary. They're concerned about Russian aggression. Uh, which is the predominant reason why they petitioned to be members of NATO to begin with. So this idea of of an Eastern country like Russia um, attacking them is is a, is a concern. But then you have this this conflagration in Ukraine and the concerns about spillover. And Poland has always seen itself as the next logical target. So there's credibility uh, already um, in concern. So when you have an incident like this, um, the the danger of cascading and escalating into something unintentionally is very real. Uh, so and you add that, this tendency of Vladimir Putin now uh, that his army is not doing so well to strike civilian targets, and he's been doing this for months, going after uh, ele the electrical grid in Ukraine, uh, hitting apartment complexes and going after infrastructure. So there's this established credibility that if there's a civilian target that struck in Ukraine. It's not that much of a cascade slide to strike a, uh, a civilian target in Poland. So enter this um, scene where you have cruise missiles uh, launched at civilian targets inside Ukraine, one of them 35 kilometers away from uh, the Polish border. Uh, the Ukrainian Air Defense Network uh, is trying to knock these cruise missiles down, and an S-300 missile is launched, uh, misses the target, 
but then what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, this S-300 plunged uh, into a, a, a Polish village just on the other side of the border uh, and killed two people. Um, that's that's what happened. Those are the facts. So then the question becomes, uh, where did this missile come from? And, and fortunately uh, for the forensics, we're able to see uh, components that when a, uh, something lands on the ground and explodes, it doesn't vaporize. There are pieces and parts that you can look at and confirm that, okay, this was an S-300 missile or, you know, this is a caliber cruise missile or or whatever. And then you can find something that may, may have a serial number on it, a lot number that makes it traceable back to when the missile was produced, which gives you some sense of uh, who it belonged to. That's how we were able to find out um, that this was a, uh, a Ukrainian air defense missile uh, and not a, a deliberate Russian attack uh, on a Polish target. Now, uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine, he he's doubled down. It w- he kept reporting, even though uh, President Biden uh, contradicted this information. And and even I think the Polish president contradicted this information. And still President Zelensky claimed that this was a Russian missile, which uh, I think this is the hair raising part, in my opinion. Um, if the narrative had continued that this was a Russian missile, that we could have seen a World War Three uh, in reality, not just one on the books or one in theory, but one in reality where NATO forces are gathering. They talked about uh, Article Five. Can you tell us what Article Five is? Yeah, I want to talk about Article Five, but I got to talk about Article Four first. Okay. Uh, so Article Four uh, is invoked when one of our NATO members feels threatened. Uh, any one of us in the United States can, Poland can, the United United Kingdom can. Um, Article four is I've got some concerns. Um, I feel threatened. I want everybody to muster and we're going to talk about the problem and what to do about it should this escalate. Article four has been invoked numerous times. Um, you know, Turkey did it because they were concerned about spillover from the Syrian conflict uh, getting across their border. Um, and then most recently with uh, the Russian invasion, those eastern countries invoked Article four to talk about what should happen if uh, the Russian Ukraine fight uh, escalates. So <clears throat> that's where we were headed uh, when this, uh, after this missile strike uh, took place, was this conversation of, okay, we got to gather and figure out what's going to happen next. Article 5 is invoked uh, if one of us is attacked. Article 5 um, was most recently invoked with uh, the, the 9-11 uh, attacks on the United States, uh, which got other members to come in on our side. Uh, and in theory, if, if Poland had been deliberately targeted, then you have a case to be made that, hey, we've been attacked. Everyone else must step up, go shoulder to shoulder with us and protect us. Uh, That's what would lead to an escalation. The conversation that would occur with Article 4 is, this has happened. Does it it amount to uh, the threshold that we would consider invoking Article 5? Um, I think if you had multiple targets struck that looked very deliberately like Russia was going after infrastructure inside Poland or going after military targets, you have a very strong case for invocation of Article 5. If this is an accident, an incident, an errant missile that just, you know, hit someone's outhouse, then that's that's not, that doesn't meet the threshold. But you'd have to gather everybody together and have that conversation. Am I overstating this? But it, it's just from an outsider's perspective, it looks like we were this close to seeing an escalation on a grand scale. And this, yeah, to take into consideration uh, already, we've heard from the Russian side that they they may use a nuclear option in this conflict if it comes down to it. That seems like a very scary proposal. It seemed like this could have been the next 
uh, you know, uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, this could have been that. What do you see, uh, retired Colonel Matt Dooley? Yeah, I think that that's a real concern uh, that because of miscalculation or misinterpretation of event, uh, that things get out of our control, uh, that there's a, a rapid cascade of, of strike and counter strike, tit for tat exchange. Um, that's clearly something all sides want to avoid because no one wins a nuclear exchange. Yeah. So to talk about um, using nuclear weapons, uh, if you're Vladimir Putin, to intimidate others, um, to me, is a, is a uh, is not useful uh, because it gets everybody on a hair trigger and worried about what you're going to do next, which I think is probably his intent because mm. uh, he doesn't have very many options and he has fewer every day. Uh, candidly, the, the the army that went to Ukraine uh, this last February no longer exists. By conservative estimates, we think he's lost 100,000 soldiers, uh, both killed and wounded. I personally think he's lost more than that. I think he's probably lost 100,000 dead and 50 to 60,000 wounded. Uh, again, either way, when you look at the numbers and what he deployed and the initial 150,000 that went in, those guys aren't there anymore. And so behind them now, you have 300,000-ish uh, very untrained conscripts uh, or reservists who are not as trained as they need to be. They're not motivated. They're not fighting very well. Uh, they don't want to be a part of this. Um, and even if you could throw in another million men, what are you going to arm them with? He's lost so much uh, of his military, so many of his tanks and armored fighting vehicles and artillery, the ammunition to support it, uh, the logistics and trucks. Uh, that stuff's all gone. Mm. So he doesn't really have too many options left. And that's that's the real concern if, if backed into a corner, what he's going to do next. Well, one of the problems that I've continued to have with this issue is I don't trust the Zelensky government. Uh, I feel uh, very conflicted about that. Uh, but so let's talk about government oversight. Now, I guess the United States has been sending in people to try to figure out what have they been doing with the munitions that we've been sending them. Uh, we're asking for another 30 plus billion dollars in Congress to send over there. I, I would like to see that go down quite a bit. Uh, and then, of course, uh, um, we're hoping and praying that there'll be a a truce, a peace. Like, can we put an end to this? How do you see the coming uh, peace, hopefully, at some point in the near future, uh, Colonel Matt Dooley? Yeah, I think uh, sending in uh, auditors uh, to trace wh where our weapons are going, I think that's that's a healthy, healthy accountability action. Um, because at some point, this war will end. Uh, what do I think that that uh, that end uh, of fighting looks like? Um, Three things. Uh, number one, uh, as I said, Russia's army is, is on the Um They're starting to dig in. I'm 60 miles behind the current front line uh, in an attempt to sort of stabilize uh, defenses uh, because they have to. Uh, they're exhausted. They've culminated. They, they have no, cap no, no capacity for offensive maneuver anymore. Um, and that's going to be the way it's going to be probably for the next six months for them. Uh, the Ukrainians uh, and their army, um, they're not in much better shape. You know, they were a much smaller force, uh, and they've kind of taken it on the chin, but they fought very well. Uh, what do I think they have left uh, for capacity for offensive maneuver? They've got a couple of un uncommitted brigades, so I think you'll see localized counterattacks in an attempt to uh, to reestablish the borders as they were prior to February. Mm. Once you get to that point, I think you have uh, the conditions set for negotiation. Both sides have to see it as in their best interest to end the status quo uh, and to seek a, a negotiated solution. Um, for all of their corruption, um, I do believe the Ukrainians have uh, have a right uh, to national sovereignty. 
Uh, I do believe that they have a right under the Westphalian nation state to their own borders and their own territory. Um, I think the West should be willing to, to guarantee that. Uh, I think that the Russians have a right uh, to feel secure within their own borders. And so the end of this probably looks like uh, a negotiated buffer zone and a guarantee uh, that both sides are going to go to their neutral corners. Um, and I don't think Ukraine will end up inside NATO, but I think their their security will be guaranteed by the West. Um, what happens to, to Vladimir Putin afterward, I think, is my next concern. Um, he won't be killed for starting a war. He'll be killed by his own people for losing a war. Mm. And does that lead to a cascade of, of pulling apart as Russia break apart into three or four subsections um, of, of different countries? Uh, and then what does China do to exploit that? Those are my long term concerns. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I do watch uh, certain Russian uh, uh, YouTubers just to kind of get their opinion to see what they're saying. And and it has been surprising to see that there's been a tremendous amount of pushback and criticism of uh, Vladimir Putin and his uh, his government, his administration there by the by the Russian people. And it's and what's interesting about that is Russians don't typically protest. This is not a thing that they do all that often. And when they do, it's uh, localized and then and, and and pushed back on by the officials quite heavily. So uh, we are seeing a, a, an uptick in that voice. Uh, but again, can you give me a sense of your time? Last question, your uh, time scale. When do you think? Can we expect a, a peace, uh, a talk at least of peace within the next six months, a year? What are we looking at? Yeah. I think you're starting to see the groundwork being laid now. Um, there's a couple of things that have to happen. The ground has to freeze. So we're, we're kind of at a tactical pause now. But once the ground freezes and we can return to maneuver, You'll mm. see uh, additional pressure as Ukraine continues to, to, to push its offensive uh, to the east. Um, and once we get closer to those original February borders, I think you'll see a greater likelihood that they sit down. I think by summertime, um, you're, you're going to look at uh, a probable peace negotiation probably by June. All right. Retired Colonel Matt Dooley, thanks for your input. We appreciate it. God bless you and God love you. Have a great day. Coming up after the break, Rudy Carlos and Mr. John Horvat. All that and more. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most people think that rules apply to others but not to themselves? They always consider themselves to be the exception. But what ends up happening is that everybody is an exception. And so the rules don't apply to anybody. The result is something worse than chaos. It's a loss of all the categories of respect and justice. G.K. Chesterton says that when the exception has become the rule, that is the worst of all possible tyrannies. When the Cardinal, formerly known as Ratzinger, gave his final homily before the papal conclave, he said, we are living under the tyranny of relativism. What is relativism? It's when there are no rules only exceptions. The man about to become Pope was echoing Chesterton exactly. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired and now more headlines. 
Ground News reports three men found guilty of murdering 298 people in flight MH17 bombing. A Dutch court has found three men guilty of the murder of 298 people on board flight MH17, which was shot down by a Ukraine or rather a Russian surface-to-air missile when it was flying over eastern Ukraine in 2014. Breitbart reports Starbucks workers strike at more than 100 U.S. stores. The walkouts coincide with Starbucks' annual Red Cup Day, when the company gives out free, reusable cups to customers who order a holiday drink. Workers say it's often one of the busiest days of the year. Workers say they're seeking better pay, more consistent schedules, and higher staffing levels in busy stores. Stores in 25 states plan to take part in the labor action, according to Starbucks Workers United, the group organizing the effort. Starbucks, which opposes the unionization effort, said it's aware of the walkouts and respects its employees' rights to lawfully protest. And Catholic News Agency reports Bishop Barron reconsecrates cemetery, vandalized on Halloween. Bishop Barron of Rochester, Minnesota, has reconsecrated the diocese's Calvary Cemetery after one or more vandals damaged the grounds with obscene and satanic graffiti. Photos of the graffiti show vulgar messages and the words, In Satan We Trust. The vandals have not yet been identified. A video posted to Barron's YouTube channel shows him conducting the rite of reconsecrating a profane cemetery. It included praying the Litany of the Saints, a reading of Psalm 50, and the sprinkling of holy water across the grounds of the cemetery, especially those places where the deceased were profaned. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Don't forget to get in on the CDT Insider email list where we send you, uh, a, you know, a list of goodies, things in your inbox every Friday afternoon. Uh, so do join the inside. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And in exchange for allowing me to harass you in your em- email inbox once a week, I will uh, send you a talk by Father Bill Casey, the Fathers of Mercy, on the state of the church. It's a powerful talk, 30 minutes. You're going to really be inspired by it. Where we're at, the difficulties we face, and where we are headed, you're going to want that. You'll get it immediately in your box just for signing up. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. I also send you clips of all the great interviews we've had all week long in the email every Friday. Again, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Joining us now via Zoom chat is Mr. John Horvat. He's got an article over at the Imaginative Conservative. The headline says, Greta Thunberg turns left... And Red, you might remember Greta from a few years ago. She was, I think, uh, 16 at the time she went to the union, UN, if I'm not mistaken. And she gave that famous, how dare you, speech that the, uh, that, uh, the world blew up on. And then, uh, how and dare you? It's, yeah, you do that very well, actually. Uh, <laughs> and then it's been all downhill since then. But she's got a book out. Mr. Horvath, good morning to you, sir. Morning. How are you doing? Praise be to God, we are alive, and that counts. How are you? Very well. Very well, thank you. Good. We're glad for your time today. Uh, Greta Thunberg's made a, quite a name for herself as such a young woman, uh, and uh, she's released a book. Tell us what this is all about. Yeah, the, the book has a not a very imaginative title. It's called The Climate Book, uh, The Facts and Solutions. And it just came out uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and it had a... Just a, a pretty pretty big launching at the uh, at the in London at the I think it's called uh, yeah the the Royal Festival Hall late October, and uh, of course because it's Greta Thornburg she, she's just, it's getting a lot of publicity 
and uh, just uh, one of the high quality book, a lot of pictures. Uh, the funny thing is, she didn't write it. Uh, she just sort of stitched it together. There, it's a collection of a hundred authors who uh, comment on on climate, and and it's being presented as her book. Mm. I think a lot of people feel have felt that uh, Greta has been used uh, by the left and the climate activists as a poster child for their cause. Um, is this something that you? you let me ask you a question. Do you feel that she is sincere about her beliefs in in her take on the climate issue, or do you think she is riding the wave? I think she is. I think she definitely has those ideas and those way, the ways of thinking. Um, you know, just to, to, I don't think she's it, – it, she does so much to, to say she's used is a bit, I think, a bit – uh, a bit my naive. She she does have that hatred for uh, you know this for the whole Western system, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I also I you know I think we need to, to emphasize that she doesn't have really any religious background as such, and so there's nothing to fill in. You know, it's, there's an emptiness there, and that emptiness often gets filled in by these very uh, hard and and leftist uh, ideologies. Mr. Horvat, you know the thing, the reason why I think. Greta Thunberg is important because many people will say, oh, what do you care? She's just a kid and now she's 19. So I guess she's not technically a kid anymore, but like, just, yeah. you know, she's just a kid. Why do you why do people care? Why do we talk about it? And I think the reason is because she's symbolic of mm-hmm. the wider trend among young people today. And uh, to Joe's question, I think that a lot of people her age and I guess my age, too, are sincere believers that the climate is going to like the, the the sun monster is going to destroy the earth. And so we got to do anything and everything possible to to fix it. And so they're willing to have these ideas. Uh, what say you? What is the the RCR idea of uh, the revolution, counter revolution idea of why Greta Thunberg is important? Right. Uh, because we are we are rational beings, but we also uh, are very sensitive to, uh, to to seeing things, concrete things. And so the symbol is very important. Symbolic things are extremely important. They make visible that which is invisible. Uh, a symbol does that. And so symbolic people uh, are very important for these revolutionary processes to go ahead because they uh, make it very concise and very succinct, uh, just concretization of these ideas. And they also provide sort of a uh, Greta is kind of like a standard bearer that takes the standard forward in a battle. And uh, not everybody will go and follow her, but they are all drawn to that. It draws everybody toward, toward the, the, the leftist cause. But she's 19. Uh, how much could she actually know about the environment? Um, I mean, uh, she probably knows just as much as, as, as we do. Uh, reading, writing, looking, looking at what's, what's happening. Uh, uh, I don't think she's a scientist. I don't think she's a rocket scientist. She's, she certainly uh, doesn't have the uh, intellectual abilities that I think that would that would know the technical aspects. But she 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 knows enough to to convey the idea and and emotion. Of course, emotion mm-hmm. is also very important in this battle. And that seems to be the biggest issue of all. She has very successfully created an emotional response. Uh, with her, with her, you know, key moment, uh, her, f- her 15 minutes or claim to fame, which was uh, at the United Nations, the "How dare you" speech, 
And uh, from that, uh, you know, she's got everything else. So, um, but what I found interesting about your article was she seems to be turning very much in line with socialist Marxist ideology. A very interesting tagging into a conversation we had earlier this week with Dr. Paul Kengor, the author of a brand new book, The Devil and Bella Dodd. And looking at in research, that's a great book. We're having him on next week again as a follow-up. But nonetheless, uh, looking at the techniques that the Communist Party, the Comintern, back in the 1930s, 1940s, was using to infiltrate labor unions, uh, the teachers' unions, to Protestant seminaries, Catholic seminaries, organizations, and, and other uh, parts of our country all across the United States— there's the same languages here, the same tools, the same techniques, uh, same ideology seems to be here. Is Greta Thunberg a socialist? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, she's using the same narrative and the same philosophical background of, of class struggle, of dialectics. And so it, it's, it's a seamless uh, transition from um, the earth fight, you know, the uh, the uh, ecological fight to the political fight and and so uh it's it's not surprising i'm sure i i don't know her positions on lgbtq uh topics but i suspect they'll also be right in line with the the whole thing because it is uh, there is a unity in this revolution uh that includes all the manifestations of it and she she definitely has that uh she definitely will follow that unity we have about uh, two minutes before we have to go to a break, but uh, one thing that this kind of sparks my mind is uh, Greta Thunberg being symbolic of this climate movement. We've seen repeated attacks on works of art. Now, granted, a lot of these artworks were kind of uh, not great pieces of art to begin with. However, just the, the symbolic nature of attacking art is interesting to me. Uh, what do you think about that aspect of the, uh, I guess, the environmental revolution? Well, definitely, uh, it, it is something very highly, it is also symbolic because they are t picking out different pieces of art that are famous, that are part of the establishment world, and they're saying, well, we, we, want, we want to overthrow this, we want to, uh, to, to, to deface it. So yes, it's definitely a part of this whole movement. And uh, you know, these, these kind of radical things, they attract a certain type of person. And they, people say, look, these people are acting, they're radical, they're consistent. Let's follow. So the, these, these, these types of acts uh, are very much in the line of, of leftist thought, leftist action. And one minute. What do you think is the uh, proper punishment for a, that kind of crime? Well, I mean, definitely it's if the normal laws on the books should be applied to them. They should be should be booked. They should be uh, jailed. They should uh, you know, this is defacing something that's famous. They, you know, the, everybody wants loves these World Heritage sites and all these very symbolic uh places well this they're doing exactly the same things to very very established work of art hold it, that thought and it is it is a crime mr john horvat is our guest we're talking about greta thunberg he's got an article over at the imaginative conservative which you can find linked up at the imaginativeconservative.org but we're going to continue this conversation and the the errors of russia shall spread across the world all that and more coming up next I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. If Jesus brought two of the greatest Old Testament saints to meet with three of the greatest New Testament saints at the Mount of Transfiguration, can you say with any assurance that they were not alive, aware, and able to communicate? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Luke 9 says, quote, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Did you catch that? They were talking with Jesus. That means they have cognitive capability. Secondly, heavenly friends. Those in heaven long for your prayer requests. Their intercession far exceeds your best friend's prayers here on earth. Sorry to say that. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. Well, Oral Roberts University has the prayer tower. TBN has a prayer department. Your home church probably has a prayer hotline. Well, guess what? Heaven has an on-demand, pure, unselfish prayer warriors known as the great cloud of witnesses. They're waiting on you. be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Coming up at the top of the next hour, Dave Palmer, host of Back to the Father, is back on with us today. He's going to be talking about St. Thomas Aquinas and being thankful. Thanksgiving. Uh, join us in the next hour if you can. Uh, but uh, with us right now is Mr. John Horvat. He's got an article called Greta Thunberg Turns Left and Red at the Imaginative Conservative. The ImaginativeConservative.org is the website. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Horvat. Great, wanna, great to be on. I want to tag back into something you, you mentioned in the last segment, and uh, it does seem to be an all-or-nothing proposition when it comes to comes to climate change. It's like you have to embrace the climate change. You have to embrace the LGBTQ uh, ideologies and all that comes with it. And uh, it's a very globalist central thing. In fact, uh, sort of in that same camp, I think it was yesterday, the UN is adopting the World Health Organization's vax passport mandate for the whole world for international travel. And uh, all these governments are like, yeah, this is a great deal. Let's go along with it. But that is a scary thing, and it definitely has its roots in the eras of Russia shall spread, or what Our Lady warned about in 1917. Can you speak to that, sir? Yeah, definitely. Um, when Our Lady appeared in Fatima in 1917, she did speak about the virus of Russia, and then it was uh, it didn't quite make sense because at that time Russia was in turmoil, and the the communist revolution had not uh, completely consolidated. But definitely, uh, it's, I, it definitely referred to communism and the uh, leftist ideologies that would follow from communism. So, and it, it included, it, it, and, the left, and the communist revolution of Russia is a global revolution. It, it, it defines itself as a global revolution. Its desire is to spread throughout the world to, to uh, worldwide domination. And that that can that can include military, but it also also include philosophical and and moral. So I think we're still seeing those those errors still throughout the world. You know, uh, this is concerning for sure because I think there are too many people in this world that are given over to emotional responses to whatever it may, they may be considering. And I see Greta Thunberg in that category. I, I frankly see her as just someone who's being used. It's like uh, one of our listeners, uh, Mary, said to she is a uh, she is sort of a Joan of Arc figure for the cause. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are convinced by that, which is why they don't really review the news, read the news, or contemplate the news or the issues of our day. They just want to know what do their favorite pop singer has to say about it, their favorite athlete has to say about it. There's a certain shallowness in the world that is, I, f I find, alarming because 
you know, mob mentality. And uh, and my kids have to grow up in this environment. Um, can you speak to that as well? I mean, there seem, mankind seems to be too shallow anymore. Uh, definitely, uh, especially with the cell phones and all the social media. It is uh, a matter of seconds, not a matter of minutes or minutes where you, you have that time to, to connect with people. And that is the advantage of symbols uh, and symbolic people like Greta Thunberg because uh, she can say everything in, in, a, in simply an image or a, uh, a sound bite. And, uh, and in a sense, you know, that explains why, why we need other figures like that, although they should be very profound and, and necessary. Mm. They shouldn't be like uh, so, so, so shallow. But the saints that have existed in, in throughout history are these symbolic figures for the Catholic Church. Yeah, uh, they just by their by their simple appearance were able to um, to cause enthusiasm for the faith. They were able to overcome obstacles, political obstacles that would take others, you know, decades, uh, years to really over to correspond. So yeah, that, that it is a, it is a, a battle between symbolic figures. Yeah, and it's very interesting seeing the the role of symbolism. It's kind of almost we're kind of almost allergic to symbols in the and in a sense because you know we we talk about oh the, our Lord is is really truly present in the Eucharist. He's body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's not symbolic, and so we kind of have this mentality. But at the same time, there is an element of of symbolism in everything, especially the sacraments. It points mm-hmm. us to like you were saying earlier, a greater reality. And speaking of this, you know, we have these uh, people who are attacking the works of art. We mentioned a second ago. But the thing that was really fascinating to me as I, I was immediately upset by the fact that they were doing this. And but then at the same time, I saw the artwork that they were attacking. And I was like thinking, why are they attacking <laughs> the ugly artwork and not like the great works of art that are present in the same museums? And are they just doing us a favor? <laughs> right, 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 exactly. And I, I was wondering about that. So w- what's your analysis of why they're attacking these particular artworks uh, and, and it's trying to attack the artwork that's modernist in order to promote modernist ideas? That, that confused me. And I was trying to figure out why do they do that? I don't, I don't understand. Well, I think it, was, it would probably be because that uh, modern art is supported by the liberal establishment, uh, the very rich people. Uh, normal people just don't like modern art, so it, it, you'd have to have certain a certain amount of uh, uh, prestige involved, so people would follow the modern art. So uh, I, this is a, an attack against the establishment, the liberal establishment, the, the establishment in general. So they probably they probably pick these particular pieces because those who who follow it and love this art are their target. Mm. It, it, actually, they're fellow li- they're fellow liberals, they're fellow companions, they're useful idiots, you know, the people who are a little bit farther back in the process, but they are nonetheless, they're, you know, they're attacking them so they can go ahead in the process farther. You know, let's go back to the climate issue for a second here. I'm trying to get uh, Mark Mills on next week sometime or maybe the week after to talk about, you know, why going electric, which we are mandating California, other parts are mandating the industry, car industry has to go all electric by what was the date? I think 2030, 2050, something like that. I can't remember. But I mean, this is a this is a nightmare. Not not only does it cost a tremendous amount of money and energy to create the batteries that can hold the electricity, but they're terribly inefficient. They Mm -hmm. bleed more energy. 
Uh, so it costs more. And then there's the human factor. Do we care about the Africans that are uh, being, uh, you know, asked to dig into the earth and what happens to them? Their health is being affected because their waterways and their soils are being contaminated by these elements. And China owns most of those mines. And now we're cooperating with China in a uh, in a much more significant way for this future. We can't actually produce the, uh, the uh, enough energy to go to an all electric world because solar and other renewable sources can't keep pace. Uh, we would have to blanket our entire country in solar panels, and even then we would probably not, and we would have to live through brownouts and blackouts on a, on a, a sort of a normal basis. And yet we're not allowed to really have that conversation, are we? Because we just must hate Mother Earth if we suggest that this is not the bright future we all want. What say you, Mr. Horvat? Right, yeah, it's, it's uh, from a, a logical point of view and a common sense point of view, all these things are, uh, don't make sense. They're not practical. But that is that is not the issue. I have a friend who says, you know, the issue is never the issue. There's always something behind it. And and in the ec- ecological issue, it's not uh, efficiency. It's not even, you know, uh, uh, the earth. It is a an attack against the West, against the Western way of thinking. The whole uh, the whole system that was based upon Christian civilization. Uh, that they're, they're, that that is the final target, and and any manifestation, no matter how small, is is fair game, and no matter how impractical. I like how your article points out that uh, although Greta is railing against capitalism and the capitalistic system that she she loathes, she's happy to also uh, benefit from it uh, with her speaking tours. Her book now is out; it's probably going to become a bestseller. And uh, she'll make. She stands to make quite a bit of money on the capitalist system. Yeah, she's definitely taking advantage of it. She says, of course, that the profits will go to to the earth or whatever, <laughs> some kind of charity. Maybe a a Thorn um, uh, Greta Thornburg Foundation um, uh, charity. But nonetheless, yeah, she's she is taking advantage of the system and has no problem doing that because uh, uh, for the left, the means justify the end. The end justifies the mean, and so she she is. Saying, well, if if they want to to use sell us the rope to to, to hang them, that's mm-hmm. fine. I'll ta- I'll take the rope. Yeah, speaking of of capitalism and this, uh, like you're saying, hanging themselves by the rope. Uh, this we just saw over the last week the FTX debacle. For those who don't know, the FTX is a, a cryptocurrency exchange, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like a digital bank in a sense with with. I, I guess fake money, and they—it's uh, like hard to even like try to try to explain in a simple way. And so they they just went under, and I think like nearly two trillion dollars collapsed, disappeared of wealth. And this was a it was a kind of a big deal because it affected a lot of people. Plus, the owner of FTX was donating millions of dollars to uh, Democrat things. Donor right ever. after who was it? Bloomberg. Right after Bloomberg or yeah, something like that. What what's your analysis of that, Mr. Horvat? Well, I mean, uh, cryptocurrency is not money. Money has to have has to have has to store value, has to be a means of exchange, and has to be a, a measure of value. And it it mimics these functions that are part of part of money. And so, um, you know, cryptocurrency is it is a very volatile volatile uh, uh, unit of of, uh, of currency between quotes. And it's bound to happen, especially when you have people like this that really are always wheeling and dealing behind the scenes and, and don't back up their 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 cryptocurrency. So 
Um, this is, I think, is something is huge. It's what, what took place uh, over the last couple of months. I think the $2 trillion has been the total meltdown, not just FTX. FTX is around $8 billion, but that's still a lot of money for a lot of people. And it's, it's contributing to this idea that, uh, you know, that, uh, the, the cryptocurrency is, is melting down and, and, uh, it's, uh, a lot of people are taken in by it. It's, and, and they're taken in by the falsity of the, of the situation, mm. uh, you know, that it's, it's really not money. Yeah. And the scary thing is, uh, they're testing out uh, the digital currency, which the Fed will then be able to control. It will not be a decentralized system like in crypto. And then on right. the heels, I was just looking at an article over at The Intercept. I think it was The Intercept, maybe in Human Events, but not either way. Uh, right on the heels of a digital currency rolled out by the Fed is going to be social credit score, which has been in effect in China for years now. Uh, Australia has picked it up. Canada has been experimenting with it. And could we be next? It's possible that uh, our our activities in the world, our opinions may be held against us and our bank accounts freeze with a click of a mouse. Uh, it's a scary future. Last word, Mr. Horvat. Yeah, definitely. And a, the, a monetary system is a very important part of it, of any economy, any, any, any society. And who controls the money that does control the people uh, yeah. to a certain extent, or at least the, the, the transactions that take place. So, yeah, that with ES, ESG, the uh, other uh, big system that's being put in place, mm -hmm. uh, these are definitely threats. There are There is actually some a lot of... Uh, yeah. Uh, reaction but it's let's see what happens pray fast and do penance live in a state of grace that's the answer to the, all of our issues but god love you mr horvat thank you for being on with us we appreciate it check them out at the imaginativeconservative.org that's going to do it for this hour if you can join us in the second hour we would love to have you go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Sometimes it can seem that our family life is humdrum, monotonous, and insignificant. But Christ began his public ministry at the wedding at Cana. When we read this account in the gospel, we're reminded that our marriage, our ordinary family life, is important to God. Our Lord and Our Lady love our families, and they are present with us. They desire to change what is ordinary into the extraordinary. The Lord can take our simple and everyday tasks and make them holy. Like the servants at the wedding at Cana, we need to notice when we run out of wine, when we run out of joy, when we run out of love. It is then that we turn to Our Lady and ask for her help. She can bring Christ into our lives, our ordinary water, and transform it into wine. And when we invite Christ into our lives to transform us, He creates the best wine of all. For more advice, ideas, and encouragement, visit us at MessyFamilyProject.org. 
Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash. Hello, this is Father Charles Van Fleet, pastor of Regina Chaley Parish in Northwest Houston, where the traditional Latin Mass is celebrated. Thank you for listening to KSHJ 1430 AM, Catholic radio throughout Metro Houston on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. It's Friday. You survived it. You made it to the weekend. Congratulations. It's going to be a great weekend. Hey, I don't know if you remember, if you're at all of my vintage, uh, <laughs> let's just say north of 20. Mm-hmm. Okay. North of 40. Uh, okay. You remember north AOL. Of 60. You remember AOL. AOL. Oh, man. Okay. They used to give out the floppy disks. Man, I remember the first time I ever saw the internet, AOL. Like, I had a friend from high school who had had it on his computer. It was a compact. I know. He, a giant. He, he was a... He was Hewlett a, Packard. He was a geek. He was a nerd. Uh, a computer geek. So he had a huge computer. It probably had eight megabits or, of, megabytes of RAM or something like that. And uh, he, he had AOL. I'm like, I got to see this. Can you show it to me? I've never seen it. I've heard people talking about it. And uh, you he, hear, <laughs> you've got mail. <laughs> and uh, I saw it for the first time. I'm like, whoa, this is the future. This is amazing. That was probably 1995 when I saw that. The reason why I bring it up is because good news, bad news. Um, bad news. Twitter's dying apparently it's trending on twitter right now that twitter is dying it's interesting how on twitter it is trending that twitter is dying hmm. uh the good news is we get aol back out of the deal we nice. get to go back to the old chat groups see nice. i remember the chat groups oh those are horrible man <laughs> we used to be able oh, to no. get in a chat group on aol and if you had sound files like little uh, they might have been MIDI files. I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> on your computer, you could play them in the chat group, and everybody. And so that's all everybody would do is just play their little sound files and be like a hot mess of echoing, <laughs> you know, sound files from everybody. And we'd play like clips of you know, famous quotes, television shows, movies, things like that. It's great. It was good days. Mm. We're gonna go back to those days now that Twitter's dying. Hmm. Well, what will you do with your life uh, if Twitter dies? Like, what are you going to well, spend that extra time on? I'm not on Twitter anymore, so... What do you... Like, at the I'm, moment, you're not on Twitter, but, like, later you no, will No, I, I deleted my Twitter account. When you say deleted, you mean you logged out, but you're logging back in later. I wish that I would have kept the things that I saved, mm-hmm. because some of them were really funny. Mm-hmm. But, uh, nope, I'm gone. <laughs> the memes are great. <laughs> yeah, the memes are amazing. <laughs> the, the meme, the meme, the meme game is pretty on point today, with the uh, R.I.P. Twitter action. There's uh, the fiddlers on the Titanic deck is a good one. I, I <laughs> like that one. That was a good one. 
Then there's, uh, you remember, uh, I never watched it actually, but there was that television show Mad Men. Yeah, I, I, I'm like familiar the, with the it. Agency, I didn't watch it either. Yeah. The, like from like the, what was the 60s like the, or 50s yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I never watched it, never seen a single episode, but I remember that it existed. They have a meme of that guy pitching ex-Twitter employees, pitching investors. It says, literally, just Twitter without Elon. Uh, that, and that'll be next week. So, uh, yeah, interesting. It'll be it'll be fascinating to see. I can't imagine why Elon would bring what, what, what did he spend forty five billion dollars or something? Let me look it up. Like, why would he spend so much money only to crush it and kill it and shut it off? Why? Like, if you've got forty five billion dollars to waste, can you give me a call first? Because I could think of a thing or two to do with that kind of money that might actually have uh, a positive impact in the world. Forty four billion dollars. Yeah, $44 billion. Surely he's that's, not... That's not enough money. He's not shutting Twitter off. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> I mean, do you think he would? I don't think he would. He can't. Who wastes $45 billion on that? I would. Well, they say that after, what is it, $125 million, mm-hmm. that it's basically just nothing to you? It's FTX it's, money, you're saying? It's just like, it's nonsense. You'll it's never just, be able to spend it. So it. maybe uh-huh. he thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just waste some of my money. He's going to take it as a uh, tax write-off. <laughs> yeah, forty five. Donate it. Billion. It wasn't all his money though. He 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 went in with partners. Hmm. Yeah, I I can't imagine. It is not going away. People, calm down. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Speaking of which, hmm. speaking of which, speaking uh, of fine, da- nah, being thankful oh. this morning. <laughs> Dave Palmer, hosted Back to the Fathers, on with us via Zoom, and I'm hearing myself in the background there, which means I get to hear myself twice. Uh, nice. Which is never a good thing. It's bad <laughs> enough in the first time, bad, worse in the second. Good morning to you, Dave Palmer. Hey, good morning, Joe. I'm trying to get this worked out. I'm sorry about that. Hold on a second, okay? What you need is $45 billion to invest in your, your platform there, Dave. And then uh, then we can crush it afterwards, and it'll be a good day, I suppose. You know what's surprising about this conversation we're about to have, mm-hmm. about being thankful, mm-hmm. is that we're already basically done with the month of November. It's insane to Can me. you imagine? Like, we just started November. Exactly. It felt like it was just one day ago. One day ago. But here we are. Halfway. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is literally next week. Uh, Joe, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Every single day. Oh, my man. Uh, if I'm on a purely carnivore diet, am I allowed to have mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving? Uh, Fundamental questions. Well, you could always make an exception. I don't suggest it since you're so close to the end. I can do mashed potatoes. You want to run the race. I could put butter and garlic and uh, chives and uh, and honey. Man, you better go slow when you get back there. And uh, what else can I dress up my mashed potatoes with? If I'm going to make the exception, I might as well go all the way. Dill. Sugar. Dill, sugar, sugar, sugar. and your mashed potatoes. Dump a bag of sugar on top that of my mashed really potatoes. Gross, actually, I already eat cheese. Oh, yeah, I can have cheese. I can have dairy. How about you have a salad? A salad. I don't know, Dave. Are you still on with us, or uh, you got you got that worked out, Dave? Me? Yes, I can. Praise be to God. Good morning to you, Dave Palmer. Sorry about that. I'm I'm, I'm testing a new way of getting. It's not, it's not working out, Dave. I'm sorry. We hear every other syllable. <laughs> I don't know why is it that. Maybe it's because you're such a fan and and uh, and uh, of St. Thomas Aquinas that the devil is having none of it. Because it seems like we're we always have some audio problems. But uh, 
We're only hearing about every other syllable from you, Dave. So maybe, how about this? Jump real quick. Jump on your cell phone. Call in by a cell phone, and let's uh, let's get you on that way because we want to talk about what's on the agenda for Back to the Father today. It's coming up at uh, 1 p.m. Central, uh, 2 Eastern, all across the GRN social platforms, which you can find at GRN Online. So if you just search like on YouTube or Facebook at GRN Online, you do find it. And every single week, Dave Palmer, our friend, executive director of North Texas English Stations, uh, hosts this show, and it really explores what St. Thomas Aquinas teaches. Uh, so uh, at any rate, hopefully we'll get you on. Dave, or, let's try you one more time. Dave, are you there? No, he, he hopped off. He's going to hop back on in a second. Okay. He yeah. was connecting via our Comrex system. Wow. We, we tested it yesterday to, te- to try it out. And not it working today. Perfectly. Not working And then we tried it today. <laughs> and perfectly. Not working at Dang all. Dang it. Is there a link with with the Elon Musk? Is Elon to blame for? <laughs> there we go. Good morning to you, Dave. Yeah. Hey, good morning. Sorry about that, Joe. Yeah, like Adrian said, uh, everything went great in dress rehearsal. I don't know what's happening this morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, so let's talk about being thankful. Thanksgiving is upon us, and uh, I suppose Thomas Aquinas has something to say about this too. What do you say, Dave? <laughs> he pretty much has something to say about <laughs> everything. Guy. That guy. Much, you know? When you write 3,100 articles in the Summa, you're gonna you're gonna write about thankfulness at, at some point. But uh, he does actually uh, have something to say about it. And there's uh, two questions, two articles, I should say, in uh, the the Summa on thankfulness and also ingratitude. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I find it very interesting because they come under the section of the Summa on justice, where uh, in the, the second part of the second part of the Summa, where he's talking about the uh, four cardinal virtues, and it falls under uh, uh, justice. And in light of Thanksgiving coming up next week, I thought this would be a good topic to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Um, Thanksgiving. Uh, I always like to point out that the first Thanksgiving was not from the Puritans, but from the Catholics in Florida. Praise be to God. That's one of my uh, to-do lists every single Thanksgiving, is to just remind the world we started it first. Uh, and then, of course, I like to make the Eucharistic reference, uh, the Greek word Eucharisteia, which is what we use to re- refer to the English word Eucharist, means Thanksgiving. It has its uh, roots in the Thanksgiving offering in the Old Testament, brought to its fulfillment in the Holy Mass. Praise be to God. But what is Thomas Aquinas' tank- take in general on being thankful and Thanksgiving? Well, I, I find the, the thing that I think is most interesting to me is that thankfulness and ingratitude he take very he takes very seriously. In fact, uh, in question 107 of uh, the part I was talking about, which is on ingratitude, he says, uh, "Is ingratitude always a sin?" And mm. he says, "Yes." Is it a special sin? Yes. And uh, is it a mortal sin? And it can Ooh. be a mortal sin Yikes. if you're un- ungrateful. Uh, and I think, like for those of us raising kids, I think if our if our kids or us, for that matter, are ungrateful or we don't appreciate the things we have, we don't say thank you, we don't, uh, you know, pay people back for the the favors that they give us, we think, well, it's just bad manners, you know, they it's probably a little, you know, uh, flaw in their character or something. But I think in reading this, what comes across is that thankfulness is absolutely necessary as a virtue and wow. ingratitude could actually potentially land you in hell <laughs> you know if, it, if it's taken wow. to an extreme and and it's a sin i mean how how often do you think you know if your kid doesn't uh, you know again not to just uh, talk about the kids but we want our kids to be grateful but i think in reading this and studying it you realize we we really have to be we have to be grateful and if we're not we're potentially sinning it's the kind of thing that mm-hmm. we need to go to confession for 
Is it possible? Okay, let me ask a question here. Is it possible? Could it be that Thomas Aquinas is talking about being grateful or thankful, uh, uh, have gratitude for the Lord and what he has, God, what he has done for us to save our souls, to give us life? Or are you actually thinking that Thomas Aquinas means this in every sense, even to our parents, our neighbors, our friends, or that stranger that's nice to us? Does he mean it for everyone? Because like, Mortal sin—that's that's huge. Yeah, well, exactly, Joe. The perfect question because that's the very first thing he he mentions in our Article One of this Question One Hundred Six. He says, "Is thankfulness a special virtue distinct from other virtues?" And he says that the thankfulness that we owe to, he says, like our father, our parents—that's uh, called piety. Okay, that that's you know you're just grateful that they brought you into the world. And the thankfulness that we owe to God is called the virtue of religion. Okay, so he makes that distinction, saying it's a special virtue. It's not those. Okay, that's something else. That you know, yes, of course we have to be thankful to God. We have to give do worship to God, and uh, you know, of course, um, you know, adore God and, mm. and worship Him. But he's saying no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about towards other people. So this kind of goes back to uh, the virtue of justice, giving people what is due to them. We give God our adoration and worship because that's what's due to him, which is why we have to go to Mass on Sunday at the very least, is to give God what we owe him. Uh, but you're saying we're also obligated to give to our, our friends, our family, our neighbors, or even that perfect stranger who's nice to us what is due to them, which is gratefulness. Yeah, exactly. And he, he talks about benefactors. You know, I mean, in, in our world, a benefactor is somebody that, you know, supports the network or gives donations and that kind of thing. And of course, mm -hmm. we owe them a lot of gratitude. But I think it's it's beyond just people who give us money or do things. I think, yeah, I think he is talking about any favors that are given to somebody, not just money, but love or attention uh and and the necessity to give back and in fact one of the articles he says whether one ought to pay back more than one has received and he says yes so not only do we pay him back and it may not just be monetarily we have to actually give more than what we received wow and so he's he's pretty hardcore on this it's like you've got to be grateful yeah. and if you have ingratitude it's always going to be a sin now, perhaps Thomas Aquinas just wasn't aware of the kind of friends and family that I have. And uh, maybe his opinion, <laughs> might, his opinion might be different had he known of the people that I'm dealing with. I mean, poor me, right? Well, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig into all this today on our show. But he, he that actually comes up in an objection. Seriously, I mean, you're like, you're asking all the right questions here because he says, what about people that don't deserve to be thanked? What about people are, are like, how, what if you're not able to return a favor to somebody? What if somebody gives you money and you're not able to give them something back? And, and what if they're not deserving? What if they're horrible people? That, that, exact, that exact objection does come up. Wow, so we can't even claim laziness, forgetfulness, uh, you know, just like, oh, I meant to do that. Oh, shucks, darn it to bitsies. I meant to thank that person and never did. We, we can't even do that? <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's going to work. I'm sorry. Yikes. I wish it would. Dave, Dave, this is a hard message. <laughs> who, can, who can hear it? Uh, Dave Palmer is the host of Back to the Father, and it's a live internet-based show. You can watch it on our YouTube channel. Go to uh, GRN Online on YouTube to search for that. You'll find it. You can also find it on Facebook today as well. Every Friday, 1 p.m. Central, 2 Eastern, Back to the Father with Dave Palmer. God bless you, Dave. Thanks for hanging out with us today, and happy Thanksgiving to you, my brother. 
All right, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Time to play our fear and trembling game show. Call right now, 877-757-9424. Why do Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven? Doesn't God rebuke the Israelites in the Old Testament for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven? Should we not refer to Mary with that title, therefore, since it's a title of a false god? In Jeremiah 7, verse 18, God is indeed upset with the Israelites for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven. However, just because God rebuked them for worshiping the false Queen of Heaven doesn't mean that we cannot pay honor to the true Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother. That type of thinking would lead you to believe that just because people worship a false god that they call God, we therefore should not call the true God by that same name, God, because that's the same name the idolaters use for their God. That is faulty logic and it makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the fact that there is a false queen of heaven does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false goddess when we call Mary the queen of heaven. Just as the fact that there is a false god does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false god when we call our Father in heaven God. And there is a true queen of heaven. We see this quite clearly in Revelation 12 verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's see. There's a woman. She's in heaven. And she has a crown on her head. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the cleaning lady. No, it's the true queen of heaven, Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule the nations. We do not worship Mary. We honor her just as Jesus honors her. So there is absolutely nothing wrong from a scriptural point of view in calling Mary the queen of heaven and in honoring her just as Jesus honors her. After all, if Jesus is the king, then Mary is truly the queen mother of heaven. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling. A Catholic trivia game show with secrets and agendas that you can't tell anybody. But you do have to call if you want to play the game. And today we're giving out prizes, which means you should call now to get your chance to get those prizes. Praise be to God. 877-757-9424. That phone line is open and available to you. First caller gets to play the game at 877-757-9424. Call right now. Adrian Fonseca standing by to take your call at 877-757-9424. One more time. 877 877- 757-9424 is the phone number. First caller gets to play the game. But there are, as I say, lots of things that we do on the down low on the QT. And we just don't want it to get out too far. So please keep it between us. But we want to teach the faith. We look for teachable moments in the questions where you might learn something you didn't know before. Praise be to God. It's a good thing to learn new things. Then, of course, we like to have a laugh, a chuckle, and our callers laugh with us. We enjoy that most, I would say. And then... And then, and then we give out prizes. And that makes it a winner for everybody. You see, everybody gets something out of the deal. You learn, you laugh, you could win. 
and today's the day you win. Now, we just had a colorama to drop, so call back, 877-757-9424. That phone number is 877-757-9424. First caller gets to play the game. But uh, here's the kicker. The secret sauce in all of this is we don't ask the callers the questions. They may not know a single correct answer, but could still win. And that's because instead of asking them, I shall ask Rudy and I shall ask Adrian, one of which will give us a correct answer. The other will give us an incorrect answer. And the caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And every, uh, every right answer at that point goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Looks like we're having some phone problems, though. I've seen two calls come in and two calls drop already. So uh, hopefully we'll get that lined up. But Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. Today we are giving away yet another Every Sacred Sunday Mass Journal. This one is in a dusty blue color. It's got a beautiful cloth-bound, hard-bound casing here. And this uh, just, just imagine yourself toting this beautiful journal into Mass, following along with the readings, jotting down all those wonderful inspirations you may receive in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, uh, mm-hmm. maybe in the readings, the homily, you're going to be growing in your interior life because this particular journal starts in Advent, which is just right around the corner, right after Thanksgiving, basically. So uh, the, 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 the kicker here is that uh, you're going to be growing in your interior life, and uh, the winner is going to get it today. This week's prize was generously sponsored by Gloria Lopez. Thank you so much, and God reward you, Gloria Lopez. All right, Gloria Lopez. You're amazing. Praise be to God. She is. She really we, is. We really appreciate the opportunity to give stuff away, and you made that stuff. you made that possible. So God bless you. All right, we are. I think we're 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 working out we the got phone one on problems the right now. We do have one on, but again, let me just take this opportunity just for a second to say, don't forget, get in on the CDT Insider email. I send you an email every Friday with some goodies. You can get the goodies in your inbox free of charge. All you got to do is go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and you can sign up to the CDT Insider email list today. Let's go to the phones. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Praise be to God, Tom. I am alive, and that counts. How are you? Alive as well. See? It counts, right? Is this Tom from MySpace? Tom is uh, Tom. No. Tom, where are you from? I'm in San Antonio. San Antonio, Texas. Uh, you know, Tom, San Antonio is is a great town. It's fantastic. It's famous, not just because I'm oh from there. Oh, boy. Here we it go. It has other reasons to, for claim yeah, to fame. Yeah, the Alamo. Oh, yeah. The Alamo? <laughs> I think I might have heard of that once. Praise um, be to God. Yeah. Of course I have. Uh, I was 10th grade that. history student of the year. Of course I've heard of the Alamo. <laughs> Tom, where do you go to church? I go to church at um, uh, St. Bridget. St. Bridget. Wow. Very Praise nice. be to God. Well, Tom, we're excited you're here. Thanks for calling in today. Uh, Tom, do you know how the game works? I do. I listen to you every day. Praise God. Wow. Praise God. Thanks. Wise and, and astute. <laughs> I can so already for your loss. I can already hear the, the, the age-old wisdom coming from Tom's tone, so this is going to be a good show. Are you ready, Tom? I am ready. Let's I do this. Ready. Let's do this. Uh, we're going to start with Rudy Carlos, who is, uh, again, no tie. He's, I'm seeing a trend. <laughs> I'm noticing a trend here. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning. Are you ready? I am ready. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Are you rested? Am I rested? No. <sighs> this ought to be interesting. <laughs> Rudy, I'll start with a history question, uh, which is my particularly favorite kinds mm-hmm. of questions. Okay. Can you help me understand in what year 
did Pope Pius XII now, uh, die? Wow. Yeah. So, some might say, I'm not going to make that joke. Well, <laughs> he did die okay. in 1958. Uh, I, see. I was going to say, some might say, mm-hmm. we haven't had a pope since. But that's that would not, be impossible. Yeah, he. That doesn't make any sense, people. Besides, he was assumed, wasn't he? Was he? No, I'm teasing. No. Okay, assumed? what year did he die? 1958. Oh, very specific. It was a good year. Was it a good vintage? 1958. Yeah. Okay, I remember okay. that year fondly. Of uh, happy memory. Adrian, expert in death, uh, could you tell me mm. in what year did Pope Pius the Twelfth die, sir? Well, as someone who uh, identifies as a graduate of Justin High School. And really? having a uh, being wow. the 10th grade uh, history championship of uh, Judson <laughs> High School. What? Yeah, that identifies Mind that. Blown. So I know it's pretty amazing. Everybody knows uh-huh. that Pope Pius XII died in 1973. Really? Yep. That was the year before I was born. I know it. Missed it by that it. much. Missed it by a hair. Okay. All right, Tom. Everyone who went to Justin High School knows it. Tom in San Antonio, Texas. Praise be to God. Can you tell me in what year did Pope Pius XII die? Was it, as Adrian says, 1973, or was it in 1958, as Rudy is, seems to suggest? 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Tom, what say you? Hmm. He seems to suggest. So he's not suggesting it. I guess <laughs> I'm going to have to go. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to go with, uh, what's that other guy's name? Uh, oh, Adrian. Don't. No. Don't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I to- I keep trying to tell everybody Joe is the tricky uh, no. one here. No. Joe is the no. tricky one. What's no. his name? Uh, the correct answer Ooh. is 1958. Rudy did have the right answer on that. And 1973 uh, was was Pi- not Paul a good year because it was the year before I was born. Um, it's the year Paul VI was reigning. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but 19, don't worry, uh, Tom, we got you covered. I Paul. We got you covered. Let's go to the second question here with Adrian. Adrian, Hi. are you ready? I'm ready. Can you tell me what is the privilege granted to persons in holy orders mm-hmm. to be tried in the diocesan court rather than civil court, except in cases of treason or arson? Was ah. that complicated or pretty straightforward? Oh, that was so straightforward. Okay. Well, this is a, something that, unfortunately, they don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. And that a privilege granted to persons in holy orders to be tried in the diocesan court rather than the civil court, except in cases of treason or arson. Yeah. It's called the benefit of clergy. The benefit of clergy? Yep. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. All right, Rudy, maybe you can help here. Uh, I wonder what you will say. Could you tell me what is the privilege granted to persons in holy orders to be tried in the diocesan court rather than in civil court, except in cases of treason or arson? What do we call that? The diocesan court. Yeah. Well, they used to call that the pontifical shuffle. Really? Yeah. The pontifical shuffle. Yep. Did they now if you if you didn't if you didn't win the shuffle you uh-huh. would get millstonated. So really? That, that's the thing. They got rid of it. It was too inhumane. They said, you know what? Nine We're gonna out take of it away. Twenty-seven times you don't want to be millstonated. Definitely not. Okay. Especially right, in the Mariana Trench. <laughs> Tom, you got choices. Nine is, out of twenty-seven. <laughs> is it, good odds. Is it uh, the pontifical shuffle, as Rudy would like us to believe, or the benefit of clergy as Adrian is suggesting? Fifteen seconds, Tom, what say you? Um, I will go with the right answer. I don't know about the guy, but I'm going to go with uh, with Adrian. What? <laughs> I 
You know, I don't know if Tom. I thought you said you listened every day. I'm not sure if Tom gets the uh, the benefits of uh, going with Adrian. I don't think he gets the benefits uh, with all the hedging he's doing over there. Wow. I don't think he gets younger. I don't think he gets more attractive. I don't don't think that happens. It's the benefit of the clergy was the correct answer. Well done. It it was surprisingly not the pontifical shuffle. Who saw that coming? I don't know. But uh, let's get the third question in really quickly here. Back to Rudy. Rudy, can you tell me where was the first mass said in America? Or some would say... The first Thanksgiving. The first mass in America. That would be St. Augustine, Florida. Or, depending on who you ask, they might say St. Augustine, Florida. I see. St. Augustine. I like that. I like that. But let's get a second opinion here. Adrian, Mm -hmm. I know you are an expert in Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you tell me, what is the first mass said in America? Yes, the first mass said in America was on Plymouth Rock. What? Amen. Are you being serious? I am serious. serious. It's a relic. Okay. Tom, was it Plymouth Rock, as Adrian says, or St. Augustine, as Rudy says? 15 seconds, Tom. What say you, sir? Well, tell me which one is wrong first. Oh, that's (laughs) easy. It would just be... Wait, hold on. I'm I'm, going to go with Adrian again. Oh, Tom! Oh. I thought I felt I. Mm, I'd love to take responsibility, but I feel like I warned you about Adrian all day. I, I, I'm telling you, yeah. he's a tricky one. Oh my I goodness! Heard, I heard the warning about Tom. About you're the winner, brother. Tom Let's go! Got one right. oh. Wow! You got Tom. one right. What in the world? And you still pulled it off. That you never happens. Now you have to journal, Tom. I don't know if you're a journaler, but now you're going to have to journal. Tom, I hope you have a wife, because this is not for men. I don't have a wife, but I know somebody who does journal, and she would absolutely love it. Getting ready for Christmas. Christmas gift right there. Well, Tom, thanks for for, uh, having a good time with us today and rolling with the punches. God bless you, Tom. Stay on hold, but uh, have a great day, and enjoy San Antonio traffic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in it now. Thank God you, Thank you for joining after us show. on your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. of St. Rose Philippe Duchesne. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of your throne, your saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is your arm alone, and our defense is sure. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Today we celebrate the memorial of one of our U.S. saints, St. Rose Philippine Duchesne. She lived in the 1700s and 1800s, grew up in southeastern France in a family that was involved in political leadership. During her childhood, she heard stories about the missionary activities of priests in the French territory of Louisiana in North America. When she was 12, she was sent to a school run by the Visitation Sisters. Once she started to desire to join them, her father brought her back home. But when she was 19, by a sort of trick, she went and joined them anyway. But only three years later, the French Revolution reign of terror shut down her monastery and other monasteries throughout France. And so she was back home trying to continue to live the life of Visitation Nun as well as she could. When she was about 30, she was finally able to acquire the property, try to start her monastery again, but it wasn't working very well. Then she became acquainted with now Saint Sophie Marie Barat, who had founded the new Society of the Sacred Heart, which likewise taught young women. She merged her monastery into hers, before long was in Paris running a convent and a school, and there met the bishop from Louisiana who was seeking an order to come to teach the French and native children in his territory. She obtained permission, and when she was 49, she and four other sisters sailed to New Orleans and soon began living and teaching near St. Louis. During the years, she experienced all of the different hardships of frontier life in this early American territory. Her community grew. She was finally 71 when she was able to spend a year with the Potawatomi tribe in Kansas, where she gained the nickname from the children, Woman Who Prays Always. But she had to return back to near St. Louis for her health. She died on this day in the year 1852. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, who filled the heart of St. Rose Philippine Duchesne with charity and missionary zeal, and gave her the desire to make you known among all peoples, Grant us to follow her way and fill us with that same love and zeal to extend your kingdom to the ends of the earth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of Revelation. I, John, heard a voice from heaven speak to me. Then the voice spoke to me and said, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went up to the angel and told him to give me the scroll. He said to me, Take and swallow it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will taste as sweet as honey. I took the small scroll from the angel's hand and swallowed it. In my mouth it was like sweet honey. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then someone said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How sweet to my taste is your promise. How sweet to my taste is your promise. In the way of your decrees I rejoice as much as in all riches. How sweet Sweet to my my taste taste is your your promise. promise. Yes, your decrees are my delight. They are my counselors. How sweet sweet to my my taste taste is your your promise. The law of your mouth is to me more precious than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How How sweet sweet to my my taste taste is your your promise. How sweet to my palate is your promise, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet to my taste is your promise. Your decrees are my inheritance forever, the joy of my heart they are. How sweet to my taste is your promise. I gasp with open mouth in my yearning for your commands. How sweet to my taste is your promise. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord. I know them and they follow me. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple area. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, meanwhile, were seeking to put him to death but they could find no way to accomplish their purpose because all the people were hanging on his words. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In our Gospel reading, it is Holy Week. The Monday of Holy Week, our Lord Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, soon will be giving his life upon the cross. And on this day, as we heard, he cleanses the temple. This dramatic action which obviously gained negative attention and truly hastened his journey to the cross. Now, we hear about how he is driving out these merchants. And I read that, that, that there, what was going on there was that these merchants who were doing necessary business to help people to be able to not bring their animals with them on their whole journey, but to buy them there in Jerusalem, they were doing this, but they were in the wrong place. That there had been a previous area of Jerusalem set aside for them, but that instead of doing it in that area, they had ended up bringing this business into the temple itself, that is, into the courtyards, perhaps within the courtyard of the Gentiles, right? So this courtyard, they've been set aside so that Gentiles, people, not the Jewish people, could come to Jerusalem, draw near to the Lord, hear his truth, enter into prayer and worship, without being taken up by business activities. Not, you might say, a bad activity, but just in the wrong place. A place where it was displacing something else that was more important and more fundamental. And our Lord Jesus purified the temple by moving out of it this activity so that this place could be open for prayer by anyone. 
when I was growing up Protestant, when I was in seventh grade in a Christian school, in, in our Bible class, we used a little booklet that was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And as it happens, you can only still buy that booklet. You can even find it online. If you search My Heart, Christ's Home PDF, you'll find it. And this, this imaginatively helps us to imagine something. You know, what if Jesus comes into my heart, imagined like a house, and cleans it, cleans my home? And so it is, if you look at it, you'll see that, that the author goes imaginatively through his house room by room. He starts in the study, which he says represents the mind. And there's the things that he looks at and thinks about. And of course, when he brings Jesus into his home, first of all, Jesus notices, oh, there's, there's magazines there, and there's things on the wall that no follower of Christ should be looking at. And Jesus helps him to instead to clean those things out, and instead to reflect upon Scripture, and to have in the center of what his mind looks at an image of Christ himself to meditate upon. And then the author brings him to the dining room. So he says, the, the place of desires and appetites. And he serves to Jesus, oh, you're going to love this, what I eat, you know, desires for fame and fortune and prestige. And Jesus, when this is served to him on a plate, says, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with this exactly, but, but this won't really satisfy you. You know, I have food you know not of. I seek to do my Father's will. And the author talks about how Jesus taught him to seek to do God's will as what his desires and appetites focus upon and what is then truly satisfying and they go to the living room, very comfortable, you know, cushiony chairs and a fireplace, a place where people can be together. And Jesus says, this is great. We can be together often. I'll be waiting for you here every morning. I'll be waiting for you here every evening. And the author talks about how he initially went there and was really glad to join with the Lord in prayer. But then gradually he became busy with other things and went less. And some days he wouldn't go at all. And one day as he was rushing out of his house to go to work, he noticed Jesus sitting in there by himself as he had been, waiting for him to come and join him in prayer. He would always be waiting there for him. And he, he resolved he would make sure that he always went. And then one day Jesus said, well, what about a workroom? Do you have a workroom in the house? Oh yeah, I've got a workroom down in the basement. I don't really do much with it. This represented his, his, his talents and his abilities. And he said, I tinker in there every so often. And he said, here, let's, let's not just tinker, let's, let's do it for real. You're going, this is the, the work you're going to do in your Christian life. And I will help you. I'll put my hands around your hands. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will then use your abilities to do actual great things for God. Another house in his, room in his house was the rec room, the room of his fun associations and activities. And he knew that sometimes he would go out with people, with friends that eh, they weren't the best friends. Jesus wouldn't feel welcome there. And when Jesus was asking him about this, when he said, look, I'm just going to go out with this friend. I, I know you wouldn't enjoy being there, but I'm going to go anyway. But he says he went out with this friend that obviously was not a friendship that was conducive to the Christian faith, that he felt miserable. And he came back that night to Jesus and said, you know what, I'm, from now on I'm just going to do things where you are welcome. And Jesus transformed his friendships and his activities into things that brought true joy and were also honoring to him. And then one day he found Jesus standing next to the, the whole closet there on the second floor. And Jesus said, you know, through this locked door, there's something that smells. There's something dead in there. There's something rotten in there. And that was some things from his past. He said, oh no, Jesus. You know, no one goes in there. Those are just things that stay locked in there. And Jesus said, well, if you're going to keep this in here, I'm not living on the second floor anymore with this smell. I'm going out to the back porch. And so the author quickly changed his mind and said, you know what? Go ahead. You can go in there too. 
but you're going to have to clean it out yourself because I don't have the strength to clean out this hall closet with these dead things from my past. And Jesus did. And then the little booklet wraps up as the author says, you know what? It's just so hard for me to run my own life. This is wearying me. Jesus, will you run my life? And Jesus says, you just give me the title of the house. I'm the actual owner. And so this is how the booklet concludes as he gives Jesus the title to his house. Jesus cleansed the temple and he wants to cleanse our own lives. Now the novices here in Salt right now are in the midst of a 30-day preparation for total consecration. And the book the novices are using is actually a book that in its own way resembles this booklet very well. Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus Christ through Mary by Father Hugh Gillespie. This seeking to consecrate ourselves entirely to Jesus through Mary leads us through day by day in a self-examination that kind of resembles this. And if you're interested, you can find this book on Amazon or directly from Montfort Publications. And in this way, we can allow Jesus to cleanse our hearts and to make it truly a place of joy for us and of glory to him. Brothers and sisters, let us pray to the Lord who never abandons those who call upon him and let us ask him to look upon us with benevolence and come to our aid. That all people may welcome the good news of the gospel, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That there may be progress in unity and understanding between nations, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That the sick and those who live far from their family may find someone to care for them with compassion, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God may grant our relatives and friends the good things that we desire for them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God from the beginning of this day may fill us with the desire to serve him. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O God, our Savior, we ask that you receive our prayers and hear the supplications that we have presented on behalf of all people through Christ our Lord. Amen. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus, and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. 
Look unto me, your morn shall rise, and all your day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May we receive, O Lord, we pray, the effects of this offering dedicated to you, so that we may be cleansed from old earthly ways, and through the example of Blessed Rose Philippine Duchesne, be renewed by growth in heavenly life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the saints, with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice. And once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me.
the mystery of faith. Save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed.
Five wise virgins brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Then at midnight the cry went up, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet Christ the Lord. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O Jesus, we adore Thee, who in Thy love divine conceal Thy mighty Godhead in forms of bread and wine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Jesus, we adore thee, our victim and our priest, whose precious blood and body become our sacred feast. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Let us pray. May the holy reception of the body and blood of your only begotten Son, O Lord, turn us away from the cares of this fleeting world, so that following the example of Blessed Rose Philippine Duchesne, we may grow in sincere love for you on earth, and rejoice to behold you for eternity in heaven, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Now, Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Ave, ave, ave. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always in the name of Christ. Hi, I'm Father Cedric Pizania from Holy Name Retreat Center in Houston. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. <laughs> 